So hey everyone, it is great to be with you today. This is week two in this message series, Content, the Pursuit of Satisfaction in Christ. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 73. If you want to pull that up in your Bible or on your phone, I'm going to read it all the way through from the English Standard Version. It will feel kind of long, but it's just a really fabulous psalm. And so just sit back and listen to this. Psalm 73 from the English Standard Version. Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task to me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all of your works. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, pray now that you would come, fill the hearts of your faithful, kindle in us the fire of your love. Open now your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this last Monday, I got in the car with my 13-year-old daughter, Reagan, and we started the car, and the radio was tuned to 93.3, The Drive, out of Peoria, and a song was playing on the radio. It was actually in the middle of the guitar solo, and I love this guitar solo. It's actually one of the few guitar solos that I actually learned to play when I was younger. And I said to my daughter, I said, this is a truly great 80s song. I said, this is one of maybe the 10 80s hard rock songs that every kid should learn about. And she said, 
How would you rate it on a scale of one to 10? I said, oh, definitely a 10. What song do you think I'm talking about? Well, it came out in 1983. It was one of the only hits that this band put out. The song was, Come On, Feel the Noise by Quiet Riot. And this is actually the remake of the original song, which came out in 1973 by a British band called Slade. But this is one of the few songs that I actually owned on the 45 version of the record. If you don't know what a 45 is, 45 is a small single record that has one song on it, and then there's another song on the other side. Back when I was a kid, if you wanted to buy one song, you didn't download it. You had to buy the 45. And so I own this on 45. It is that important of a song? And to my knowledge, this is one of the true, um, one of the only truly great heavy metal guitar solos that's entirely in a major key. Come on, feel the noise. Great metal anthem of the 80s. The solo is like an anthem within an amp, amp, uh, anthem. You really ought to give it a listen. So just as every person wanting to bathe in classic feel-good 80s music ought to familiarize themselves with that song, anybody who's pursuing contentment in Christ ought to familiarize themselves with the song that I just read to you from the Bible, and that is Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is the first psalm in book three of the book of Psalms. It's written by a man named Asaph. Asaph was a member of the tribe of Levi, and of the 12 tribes of Israel, Levi was the tribe designated to work as servants in the tabernacle, in the wilderness, and then later in the temple in Jerusalem. Asaph particularly was appointed by King David to be one of the music directors and worship leaders in the tabernacle, and then he also served in the temple after it was built. Asaph uh, is credited with writing Psalm 50 and Psalms 73 through 83, a very influential man in the worship life of ancient Israel. But in this psalm, Ahaf shares with incredible transparency a spiritual struggle that he had recently gone through, from which he eventually came to his senses and came out of. He says in verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, he says, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, something we see in the book of Psalms, which we do not see hardly ever in our world today, is great transparency from the leaders who wrote the Psalms about times that they failed. King David is well known for failing, but then confessing it, writing a song about it, and then having the whole people of Israel sing about his magnificent failure and his repentance. Asaph is sharing very openly about how he, as someone who decided to be a follower of God, had fallen into covetousness and envy toward those who had chosen to live lives of disregard toward God, of selfishness, and of greed. He said, look at them. 
They're so prosperous. He says they have wealth. He said they're also healthier than I appear to be. He said not only that, but they have great influence over others, and they think all that they do, they get away with, and they say, surely God doesn't see it. And he's looking at these folks, and he's really wondering if he had made the wrong choice. He looked at what he had as a devout follower of God and what they had, and he said, maybe I chose wrong. He says in verses 12 through 14, behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning, talking about spiritual rebuke for his sins that he committed as he's trying to walk on the right path. Surely we've all felt this way before, and this brings up two important truths that come out in this psalm. Number one, at some point, each person must decide to live for God or not. Number two, at times, those who have decided not to live for God may appear to be doing better than those who are living for God. And we've all probably experienced this at some point. If you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you may feel it sometimes like you wonder if you made the wrong decision. At some point in the past, you decided to say life. You say yes to a life of Jesus, a life of service, a life of humility, a life of monogamy, a life of celibacy and singleness, a life of generosity, a life of self-control. You weighed the decisions, and then you decided that that was the best way for you to live. And most of the days of your life, you feel like that's a good path that you're on. You chose the right path. Even though it's hard, you feel good about it. But then sometimes, sometimes you see people who are on the other path, and they really do seem to be having way more fun than you are. They may be wealthier, more popular. They may seem to be living lives that are way more exciting. They may be able to dabble in darkness, and it has no effect on them in a negative way. They may have more friends or followers than you do. You see pictures that they post on social media of all the places they're going, the things they're doing. You see them, and you feel lonely and sad, and you may wonder if you chose the wrong path, and they chose the right one. Well, this is where Asaph was. This is what he was contemplating. But then the Holy Spirit caught his heart. He says in verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus, in other words, I'm going to actually verbalize and share these feelings of resentment, he said, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. In other words, the other people have chosen to follow you. He realized that he couldn't possibly share these negative, covetous feelings with people who looked to him as a spiritual leader. It would devastate them. But he still didn't know how to process all this conflict he had. What does he do with it? He was feeling this way. What should he do? Well, eventually, he went to the temple, either to meditate or maybe even to lead others in worship. It says in verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. And this brings us to a third important truth, and that is, in the end, those who have decided 
not to live for God will perish. And those who have lived for God will enter into eternal glory. Asaph will mention in a few verses the end result of following God and the riches of that. But here we see him going to the temple to contemplate and worship. And he remembers what he had temporarily forgotten in his time of covetousness. That an earthly life lived with disregard for God, for others, for justice, will result in being utterly destroyed, if not in this life, at least in the one to come. As it says in Proverbs 16.25, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way to death. When I was a teenager, I had two competing desires in my heart. I was beginning to feel that I might like to be a pastor someday, but I also really felt ambition to become a professional heavy metal guitarist. I wanted to play music in a band and tour the world and record music and have my picture in magazines and make music videos. I saw the normal lives of adults living in central Illinois where I lived and I wanted something more grandiose. I wanted something more glamorous. Eventually, and very quickly, I experienced the downside of pursuing that rock and roll life And I finally got back in touch with God and pursued the better call for me, and it's different for everybody, but vocationally for me, that was a call to pursue ministry. But something interesting at this stage I'm in now is that I can look back and see how things panned out for those who were living that life that I thought had it all. I can see what happened to those musicians whose posters I had on my wall when I was a teenager. Uh, Many of them have died of drug overdoses. Many have been in and out of rehab. The lucky ones have gotten sober and have continued to make music. Some of them have been married multiple times in lives filled with great infidelity. Um, Many of them um, uh, tried to make music and after their glory days passed, no one was interested in listening. Some are still trying to reclaim those glory days, but they find that they can't fill stadiums or even clubs anymore. And they also find that they don't even have the physical health to be able to even sing or play the music that once made them everyone else's idols. And at this point, a lot of their memoirs have come out and I can read and hear the stories about how during those times when I thought they had everything, inwardly their personal lives were a complete wreck and a living hell. And this is not just the case in the music sector. Many famous athletes or businessmen or politicians are living lives of inner turmoil even when they look great on the outside. In the end, most of the people whose lives we envy bottom out if they're not built on God. And in the very end, everyone who chooses a life of self-centeredness, dishonesty, or greed will be far away from God in the world to come at the moment that they pass from this life into the next. These are the truths that Ahab recalled when he went back to the place of worship. He remembered these things. Now, having awoken from this period of jealous contemplation and resentment, he's now able to see things clearly again. He says in verse 21, in God to prayer, he says, God, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. 
Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. This brings up a final truth that we see illustrated here. And that is, at every point, God is continually with those who choose to live for him. He says, God, even in those days, nevertheless, you're continually with me. You guide my hand, you lead me with your counsel, and you'll receive me to glory. He calls to mind that eternal covenant that he made with God many years ago. He decided that he would choose the way of living for God, living honestly, living gently, living justly. And he celebrates that even in the time of doubt, God was holding him close and guiding him back to him. And he remembers that his end will be God receiving him into eternal life, eternal glory because of his covenant relationship with God. And then he remembers what he desires more than anything. When his heart is in the right place, he says in verse 25, these beautiful words, God, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's saying those other people, they may have their health, their wealth, their power, their chiseled bodies. They may have their influence over others, but I have God and there's nothing I desire on earth than more of him. And there's nothing I want more in heaven than more of him. And even if my heart gives out, I still have him forever and ever and ever. And that's all that my heart really wants. That's all that can make me truly happy. He concludes in verses 27 and 28, by saying, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all of your works. So let me repeat the four uh, truths that we see here. And then I'll give some applications about what we can learn from this Psalm about pursuing godly contentment. Number one, at some point, each person must decide either to live for God or not. Number two, at times, those who have decided not to live for God may appear to be doing better than those who are living for God. Number three, in the end, those who have decided not to live for God will perish. And those who have lived for God will receive eternal glory. And number four, at every point, God is continually with those who have chosen to live for him. So now let's apply this to our pursuit of godly contentment. Contentment that is found only in Christ, that only he can provide. Number one is this, choose to live for God early. Make a decision early to choose the path that leads to life, the path of friendship with God, the path of goodness, the path of generosity, the path of humility. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So the earlier, the better. Choose God early. The earlier, the better, but better late than never. If you haven't chosen him yet, choose God today. Number two is keep choosing good steadily. 
There's a decision we make at one point in our life, but then there's the decisions that we make every single day, whether to stay on the path that leads to uh, goodness in God or to get off the path when we chase things that others are chasing. It says in Proverbs 10, verse 23, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but living wisely is pleasure to a man of understanding. Let the pleasure you seek be the pleasure of making good decisions, the pleasure of having a clear conscience, the pleasure of hard work, the pleasure of choosing to cultivate an inner life of connection with God, the pleasure of caring for others, not these worldly pleasures that don't satisfy. If they did, people would quit chasing them because they would have found satisfaction in the last ones. So keep choosing good steadily. And number three is evaluate your thoughts closely. In this psalm, we see Asaph do something that a lot of people are unable to do, and that is to look at their thoughts critically and objectively. His mind at one point is a runaway train. He says, look at all those people. Look at what they have. I made a wrong decision. Oh my gosh, they're so well off. I'm so bad off. I'm sure you've had that mental spin take place before. What you have to do when that happens is to really analyze those thoughts. In, in uh, psychology, there's these things that they call cognitive distortions. And you should probably Google that if you don't know what those are, cognitive distortions. And these are ways we attach stories to things that might not be true. And how most of the things that we're upset about are not actual events or facts themselves, but rather the interpretation we place to those facts and events right? In truth, those people who were living far from God, not only were they heading off a cliff, but they probably were inwardly living in hell at the same time. Asaph was able to look at those thoughts and realize they were wrong. We have to be able to evaluate our thoughts. Most of the things that people get upset by, they don't need to be upset by. But we get so committed to our faulty thinking, and we refuse to listen to the truth because we're committed to the lies, the distortions that we've adopted. And so Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he said, the eye, meaning how you see things, is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. How you see things will determine whether you feel good or feel bad, whether you feel like there's hope or you feel like there's no hope, whether you feel like you have good in your life or you feel like only others do and you don't. Number four is enjoy your friendship with God daily. You know, we are invited into friendship with the eternal God. But that has to be cultivated for us to have any advantage from it. You know, a lot of people, they get up every day and they go to the gym, maybe for an hour, two, three hours a day. But they put zero time into their friendship with God. They build up their bodies only for those bodies to eventually uh, get worn down again, eventually get soft again, and eventually be put in the graves. And they don't build the inner life, the life with God. Make it your goal to carve out time every day, a lifelong habit of spending time in God's word, reading through a little bit each day, and then meditating on what it says, and daily enjoying friendship with God in prayer, communing with God each day. Cultivate this devotional life. 
As it says in Psalm 105, verse 4, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. If you don't have a daily relationship and friendship with God that you're cultivating and feeding, you're always going to feel like people who aren't Christians have it better than you. You've got to learn to enjoy this time with God, your creator who wants to meet with you every day. <clears throat> Finally, is reset your heart on God weekly. Reset your heart on God weekly. One of the things I think is very helpful in this psalm is that Asaph, in his inner conflict, went to the place of worship. He went to the sanctuary. Maybe it was for a worship service. Maybe it was just to meditate. It was there in the place of worship that he remembered what is true and what is good, and that he found that he was content in God after all, when he let go of those faulty thinkings. You know, we get pulled in tons of different directions throughout the week. People and things trying to advertise, lead us astray, make us not satisfied with what we have. How are we ever going to be content in Christ if we don't weekly come back to the place of worship and remember what is true, remember what is real? This is why Christians have been meeting weekly for 2,000 years. It's a weekly resetting our heart on God. When he got back to the sanctuary, then he saw things as they were. This is why we have to come together in the presence of God, with the people of God, singing the songs of God, reading the word of God. And when we set our hearts on God, we find that we really have so much that we don't often remember throughout the week. We remember that we have God himself and that we have delight just by being his. And we have the promise of things to come. As David wrote in Psalm 37, verse four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We have to come weekly to delight in the Lord. We need to do that and then it changes what we desire. And then we have the revelation that we already have what we desire. And we can say from earnestness in our heart, God, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I really desire besides you. Though my flesh and my heart may fail, you, God, are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's pray. God, I just thank you, Lord, that you offer us real eternal life. And it starts here and now. You invite us into friendship with you. You invite us to a good life of saying no to the things of the world so we can say yes to you, yes to humility, yes to service, yes to generosity, yes to slowing down to take time with you. God, the answer to contentment is not found in externals. It's not found in more stuff. It's found in you. Lord, this is the only kind of contentment that you offer. Help us to seek it and to find it. Lord God, help us to repent of the covetousness when it comes. Help us to see our thoughts objectively. And when the lies of Satan sneak in, let us see them for what they are. And now, Lord, we join with people of all time who have called on your name as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us declare what we believe 
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the grave, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.